Food is literally all around you. Yes, I'm talking to you. You probably have plenty of highly nutritious, life force rich food growing within three meters of where you are listening to this right now. Welcome to the Vital Veda Show. I'm your host, Dylan Smith. I'm an Ayurvedic practitioner and holistic health educator, and someone that basically every day walks probably within a five meter radius of my kitchen, whether it's to my backyard or to the footpath or across the road on the street to forage vegetables for my lunch and prepare it. And so does our wonderful guest, Diego Bonetto. And before I introduce Diego, I want to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land that where Diego and I recorded this podcast together in Sydney, Australia, in a place known as Gadigal Country or Gaddy Country. And that's of the Eora Nation, where the community is currently residing just a few beaches down from where we recorded this at a place called La Perouse in Sydney. And this community of traditional custodians continue to be custodians of this land to maintain and respect the land in a way that is sustainable so that they can continue to feed all the inhabitants living on there for those who choose to recognize and honor and engage in a reciprocal relationship with the wild food and the wild medicine that's growing on our local landscape. So Diego and I recorded this together in person, so good to record in person. And he, as you'll recognize from his accent, grew up on a dairy farm in Northern Italy. And there it was still common practice to collect the wild produce of the land. He learnt ancient craft of gathering from the fields and the woods while also caring for the resources. Diego moved to Australia in the mid-90s where he spent many years working in orchards and garden centres and he saw that Indigenous knowledge was lost to some extent and there was a disproportionate mistrust for wild produce which gave way for a country of disconnected living. We no longer know the names of plants living on our doorsteps. We disrupt and dismiss some of the most important food and medicinal plants that have always walked with us as our co-evolutionary species. To tell the story of plants in his passion, Diego runs public and private workshops every week. He runs many workshops. In, in one year, he, he taught over 3,000 people on over 150 workshops. He collaborates extensively with chefs, herbalists, environmentalists, cultural workers. He's been featured in a substantial amount of media. You can check out his website and see all the interviews and news interviews, radio interviews, article interviews. So super excited to have Diego, longtime friend. Um, we record this after going for a forage walk ourselves. But Diego's really, what he's, what he's huge about is turning cities into edible landscapes. What I love about Diego is he's got a focus on urban foraging. And a lot while we speak about, you know, our experience in Sydney, it's very relevant to you. Yeah, I'm talking to you wherever you are in the world, England, Europe, Australia, Middle East. There's so many of the weeds we speak about here. Diego is known as the weedy one. And you can check out his Instagram, the weedy one, because he's really into weeds. And Diego is where I really sparked, who sparked my passion for foraging and and my relationship with foraging wild foods and plants. But he's, he's big on the weed. He's big on the urban plants, which is often neglected and, and overlooked as the value. So we're going to get into some awesome stuff. And you're going to want to check out the resources of this podcast because it's really helping for where you can start your foraging journey or enhance it if you're already foraging for wild foods, which up to this side, 
propose you probably will want to get to know it. Also, listen in because we're going to share a competition for this episode where you can win a copy of Diego's book, Eat Weeds, his recent book released in July 2022. And it is a phenomenal book of foraging. It's 43 plants and or 43 species rather 33 plants four seaweeds six mushrooms that are so deep that it's detailed and it's it's common these are common species which are very available very nutritious very delicious damn all right so if you enjoy the show subscribe we've got some other foraging wild food coming up of on the vital vader podcast where we talk about those in the fields of health consciousness spirituality as well as the veda which is basically the laws of nature how to interact with natural law if you like this subscribe so you're in the loop and check out diego diegobonetto.com check out vitalveda.com.au sign up to the newsletter where we reveal some certain special offers when we're traveling to offer our clinical services around the world and also any exciting offers upcoming we send them out occasionally and got some good stuff and the vital vader on instagram as well as where we post the most regularly so my dear friend enjoy the show diego it's been a long time coming welcome to the vital vader podcast so good to be with you in person thank you so much dylan so looking forward to this chat yeah it, it has been a long time coming because i've been thought having you in the mind for, to come on the show and you know we're friends where we live in the same city and i've had also other people requesting you in the past I'm like yeah it'll happen at some point <laughs> a great day for it we'll we'll share why later but the first thing i ask on every to every guest is in ayurveda which as you know is the me- medical system that i work and study at an important thing is daily routine so i would like to know what did you do today or what was your morning routine do you have a morning routine? Yeah, I do have a morning routine and, um, you know, it's predictable. Uh, my background is Italian. My morning routine is coffee and get up, you know, half asleep. I have an old coffee machine, which I treasure is the same one. It's all crusty. It's perfect for that. And uh, I make myself the morning coffee. And uh, I cannot think a day of starting without my <laughs> coffee morning. Is at least the first one from thereafter I can work my mm. way through the day. Mm-hmm. But the first coffee task to exist is my daily routine. Beautiful. Have you ever tried not having coffee? or uh, It happened in the past. I don't need to. <laughs> I'm lucky. <laughs> no, I don't tried. need to do without. Yeah, yeah. Is uh, as you might be, as you might appreciate, the daily routine is more than just actually what you ingest or what you do. Is the celebration of mm. the your habit and your, is a grounding. Mm. Is a grounding step. You yeah. start with what you know, and from thereafter you walk in. Um, uh, empowered is the wrong word. You walk content mm. because you already started on the known foot yeah beautiful anything else that you do that's regular uh, morning even minute details uh, or... minute details so morning coffee can be the day as well you know say so, you know it changes because i don't i cannot really think of from there from thereafter really change day to day because i work uh, i'm a sole trader i'm an educator 
and one day this morning I was running a workshop so morning coffee while it was cooking get ready the basket get ready what I need for my mm. things you know send myself the list of participants so I know who to tick off mm. and the and the things so remember the book you know mm. all of this so, you know this the morning coffee is the start and then day change another day you know like at the moment I'm packing house where I am so this morning mm. we're packing okay let's get on with it so is the coffee is yeah. my grounding <laughs> yeah, routine right so yeah today we we I attended your workshop with Oliver Oliver Bram Oliver Bram another wonderful knowledgeable person on wild foods absolutely Oliver is the next level but you know we yeah. we all know each other in the mm. in the um what do you say in the in the subculture kind of mm. area of foraging like we were speaking about Jay Kassar today as well mm. you know great friends we work together many years you know so we all know each yeah, other bushcraft teacher yeah, and bushcraft and bush medicine and engaging with your environment as a participant mm. become a participant of your ecology yeah yeah that's what we were doing today we were had a walk it was a seaside workshop so we were directly on the coast literally went onto the rocks of the east coast of sydney australia in a in a beach called clavelli and yeah we we learned we learned a lot and and but let's get into it so i think the first question i have is can, for people starting their journey on foraging and maybe they've seen other people foraging and and forage, there's so much more than just the word foraging i mean it's interacting with nature so many aspects but let's just say one of the main things is foraging is is getting food and medicine so people i see a lot of people and particularly in our community as well they they're interested but they're not going that extra step so why should someone put their time and energy to learn how to forage and to actually do it put it simply in terms everyone would understand you get free food <laughs> and free medicine <laughs> yeah. so that's already a great motivator <laughs> for anyone you know we we all all understand that and by incidental benefit from that you engage with resources you learn about cycles you start to you increase your botanical literacy you experience flavor and texture that don't exist any longer in the supermarket shelves you connect back to the old stories your own other people's stories you learn about nature mm. so all of this is incidental but you wanting to get out and get free food and the best tasting food like much better much more nutritious much more nutritious than the standard um commercial uh, food. Uh, food that grew out of his own will without mm. the aid of chemical fertilizers pesticides you know whatever and food that grew out of the rain that come from the sky mm. not irrigation system mm. food that grew in a head as we breathe not uh, hot houses in some paddock somewhere So it's a different food is a way more important nutrition element nutritional element that you introduce in your system and is ancient we all come from there mm. you know mm. it's your way to connect to you as an animal mm. at the time before we 
actually had supermarkets, mm. which is not that far back. Yeah. Yes. And the ultimate sustainable way of consuming food. I mean, absolutely, it's, it's even more sustainable than growing your own food because if you grow your own food, you have to irrigate it. You have to buy the pot and go drive to the store to buy the seedling and get it in a plastic pot and buy fertilizer. And this yeah. is just wild. Like, yeah. you can't get more sustainable than that. Absolutely. And you wouldn't engage only when there is abundance. So, you know, you know even just one of the key elements of foraging is you get what you get given. So you're not going to go and harvest strawberries in the middle of winter. It doesn't matter what you see at the supermarket. Strawberries in the middle of winters, there's nowhere to be seen. And it forces you to eat seasonally and exactly. locally. And uh, at, when the fruit and the greens are at the prime, not when they're being pushed mm. to create colors and shape. So, um, Which is a huge concept in Ayurvedic medicine is to eat seasonally because nature is providing what your body needs in that season. And today in the workshop, you gave a wonderful example of how in the winter, we're naturally eating more insulating foods, more protein, more fats, these heavier foods. But then we have to get rid of that heavy congestion we call kapha in Ayurveda that it's like the ice on the mountains. And then the spring comes, the sun comes out. And that's when the bitter leafy greens come out, the bitter roots, and that's scrubbing the intestinal villi and detoxifying yeah. it. And it's like if you didn't do that well, you get the hay fever. It's like the snow on the mountain. If you don't do that well, but if you do seasonally eat according to the seasons and the rhythms and, and detox, that naturally takes yeah. care. And uh, it's, it's inter interesting to reflect on these patterns, these cycles, even beyond the teaching of a structure like Ayurveda, because um, effectively, this is natural laws. That's know. what the Veda means, by the way. If yeah. you had to translate Veda, which is Ayur means life, Veda means science. Yeah, it's it's actually the science of life based on natural natural law, law. Yeah. natural laws. Yeah. So it's cycles. We always being you know following cycles because mm. we we never being able to just affect cycles. Mm. So if you get strawberries you eat strawberries if you don't have strawberries you don't eat strawberries mm -hmm. full stop and this is the same since forever evolutionary we came to be what we are now by following cycles mm -hmm. so you know this disrespect towards cycles that we have today is very new narratives that you know facilitated or not by commercial gain mm. but uh, regardless you know it's just something that you would be forced into by engaging in foraging yes yeah and another aspect again is is the health of the plants like in and the health of our human body that's another benefit like we said the nutrient composition is usually higher and it people the general commercial uh, whatever the status quo population they're very confined to the amount of species that they eat compared to what's available like that's a huge thing like Okay, yeah, yeah, I can. I eat. I don't know three types of lettuce. The common person, what is it? Iceberg lettuce and all these other lettuces, which are pretty similar. But you can go into, and then there's spinach and other leafy greens. But so such a vast variety and dynamic variety of, of foods. Yeah, I think it's so important, even for our microbiome as well, to just. It's like I think today where you're giving the example was it you or Jake who was saying, yeah, if you eat McDonald's every day, and you have this bit of leafy green, yeah, it was today then you might feel sick because it's so foreign to you. Yeah, yeah, so foreign. You do not have the bacteria in mm. your guts to even know what to do with it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And which is important because yeah. it's just 
there's so much, so many dynamic things that are coming into our life, whether it's yeah. in from the air or it's from the water. Yeah. And we're going to be having to, with food shortages and everything, we're going to be having to get out of our common status quo unless you want to be eating the genetically modified food, which is going to yeah. be coming the norm to feed the masses in a yeah. world of food right. shortages. Yeah. And it's much better for health to divert. To divert. Yeah. Yeah. To di- uh, diversify yeah. your diet. Bring back a quality of fibers, vitamins, minerals, and phytonutrients that do not exist any longer on our supermarket shelves mm. because we bred them out or have a modern agricultural species for in exchange for color, size, profitability, yield. So, and uh, we bred out, you know, the, the more uh, hard to cells, bitterness mm. or uh, punginess uh, of plants, which is what makes them good and healthy, mm. yeah? And, uh, but you know, there's, there's, it's very interesting to, to look in that terms, you know, foraging as a way to introduce higher level mm. nutritional value into your diet, foraging as a way to reconnect with cycles, with nature, foraging as a way to open up your eyes the possibility all around it and just becoming and more dynamic and more dynamic because it seems and like when you was talking about you know the supermarkets getting rid of the bitter foods and the pungent foods mm. it's just like okay high carbohydrate sugar food it's like the senses of majority of the population has become dulled to just okay i can't touch bitter stuff it's just like give me sweet carbohydrates yeah. and it's it's again it's having that uh, mono sensory experience of life. We I think we need to enhance our sensory perception. Yeah. By having that dynamic tastes. Yeah, yeah. And it's important to remember that these strong wild flavors that comes from wild plants. Um. I always always been and still now only ever enjoyed seasonally. So you mm. get your strawberries for two months a year, and that's it. You get your mulberries for two months a year, and that's it. Your lily pillies, the magenta lily pillies, you're lucky you get two months a year. Mm. Riberies, you get f- three weeks a year. You know, so, mm. you know, and all of this uh, abundance of wild ingredients, mm. I have a short uh, span, so short cycle, Beautiful. and that's how they should be approaching short cycles. And then you wait 12 months before engaging with it. And by the time it's 12 mm. months over, you engage with it with um, renewed hunger, renewed mm. eagerness yeah. to bring back these elements that might be strong, but young okay. and so good for your system and your body sing. And your body finds itself, wow, mm. you know, hey, hey, it's mushroom seasons again. Yeah. You know, you've been waiting for 12 mm. months. So. And it's like it, was a, like it was the other day, right? When that yeah, comes around, right. when that time of year comes around, it feels like it was just last week that we had it. Yeah. It's because it's so in, in tune with the rhythm. It's like eating apples, bananas, and oranges for six months a year each, you know? Like, yeah. It's like, yeah, I love that. Dyna- again, the dynamic dynamics of, yeah, okay, I'm going to get two month of this or one month of this and yeah. then one month of this fruit and then so it's just that broad and broad exciting and, and, and it makes it exciting and it makes life more vibrant rather than monotonous and yeah. dull and like okay i'm just Potato every day 
exactly. Brianna is 65 days here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's so important for mental health and for physical health to mm. have that creativity and di- yeah. dynamism. Because and it brings diversity, which yeah. is so important. Diversity so that you do not try to extract nutrients from one single species mm. all your life and focus on one single species, potato and wheat. Exactly. And, and, and all your system, all they can get is one single species nutrition. And then eventually they find out that there's a whole bunch of minerals that never are in our diet yeah. and you need to supplement them, you know, right? as opposed to actually have a diverse yeah. diet. So you do not need supplements. And someone might say, well, sure, I'll just have supplements. But actually there's benefits of having the food rather than an isolated constituent in the form of a synthetic powder in a capsule or whatever that's going to be more strenuous for you to digest it's strain on the liver but if you can eat the whole food whole herb with those same constituents that's much more beneficial and able to absorb absolutely so yeah th- this is good okay so kind of laid, laid down the, the ground i want people to like think like okay i'm keen to forage now yeah, <laughs> i'm yeah, thinking yeah. to get into it of course there's some safety, sustainable, respect kind of things, which, yep. which we'll definitely touch on. Absolutely. But no rush for that. And yeah, I just want to, on people starting, I think I've heard it from a few different people, but I think it's so valuable to, for people to know that just get to know one plant at yes. a time. Maybe you can speak on that because I think it's like plants are like friends. Like you, even today, like in the lawn, on the mowed lawn of, Clavelli Beach, like Diego and Oliver are just spotting like the smallest amount of edible wild. I'm reluctant to call them weeds, so I'll call them edible wild foods. Um, but yeah, weedy one, it's, it's fine as well. But yeah, they, you just see them. You have this completely change of relationship. So yeah, I think that's really important because people can get overwhelmed and go to a foraging workshop and you, you, you get taught 20 plants, but just one at a time, you really develop and get to yep. know it. So how to start foraging? To start foraging, if you have no botanical knowledge whatsoever, slow down is the biggest you know, advice, is the most important advice. So you slow down and you start to engage with the plants around you. So probably the plants that you want to learn first are the one closer to you. So your backyard, your nature strips where you walk, the trees in your streets, or the, the plants at the back of the park, a place that you would walk every day so that you come back every day and look at that plants with the flower that now doesn't have flowers, but you still recognize the plants. You slowly establish this kind of a, a pattern recognition that you will use forevermore. So... Learning about plants is a journey. It will never stop. I learn about new plants all the time. Scientists are discovering new plants all the oh. time. So you, it will never happen that you will know them all. Forget about it. But what will happen eventually is that you piece together a puzzle of names in front of your eyes. And one after another, you put names to things. So starting out in foraging, uh, it's important to start with the simple, good, simple plants to start with are, say, dandelions, chickweed, or purslane, or uh, sow thistle, simple plants that are 
everywhere. You will never need to walk very far to see. And once you understand how to recognize it, you see one, that's the line. Okay, so you walk around. Oh, that's another one. Oh, that's another, but it's smaller. Oh, I wonder if it's that. It is the same one, but it's mm. smaller. And you will start to learn the plants, how they change according to environments, according to conditions, to nutrients, or to water availability, or how often they get mold. So plants change, and you learn to acknowledge these, uh, the differences between how plants engage mm. with the condition they live in. Once you look in that plant, you learn how to recognize it in different environments, you're on it. It becomes your friend. It becomes your point of reference. Is I usually give the example that once you have a name for the plant, you'll see it everywhere. Yeah. Sociologists talk a lot about that. They talk mm. about plant blindness. And usually the example they use is you have a picture, there's a, a, a jaguar or a, a lion sitting on a branch on a tree. You show the picture to mm-hmm. anyone, you, you give them a picture of this lion sitting on a branch, and you ask, what can you see? And the people say, oh, it's a lion. Beautiful. Okay. What about the tree? Oh, yeah. And there's a tree as well. So we do not see the tree. We only see the lion. Why is that? Because we have a name for the lion, but not mm. for the tree. Yes. And if you knew the name for the tree, that's a wattle. It's a lion lying on top of this acacia in the savannah. You will have the name, you can name it. Mm. Yeah, so it's a matter of having the language. Once you have the language, you can see things. Mm. Yeah, and lawns. Coming back to what you were saying before, lawns transformed from green carpets to 10, 15 different species growing together in the ecology, which makes that lawn. Mm. So it's just a matter of having a name. Mm. And once you have a name, you see that shape, pattern recognition, that's the shape, Mm. that's the name, bang. It's like knowing if you know your friend's name, you're going to be closer with them as a friend. Like we, we learn each other's names to, and then when I see you, you know, it's, I respect you and I help you. Yeah, yeah. And you pull together all of this information mm. you have this with friends because you know each other intimately. Mm. You know, there's exactly. ongoing investment, yeah. mm. ongoing investment to checking up them. on each other. That's right. How you been after the storms? How you been yeah, after yeah, the yeah. floods? Yeah. So. And I think what really helps to start that journey is with for someone to show you. Yes. I think it's so much more helpful than a book or YouTube. I agree. They're, they're both helpful and relevant, absolutely. But I think I've seen in my personal experience and also with friends who I've shown to Forage, they can see me post about it all the time on Facebook or whatever. Instagram and or read see it on the internet, but once someone shows you that plant in person in live, how it looks in the greater thing, then that that really starts, and that's what I learned from you in, a, yeah. in the early workshop days. Yeah, okay. absolutely. That is very important. The lived experience of the learning process, and this way to learn is how we have always learned. Like my first learning into botany comes from growing up in a farm in northern Italy. 
where it was still common to send the kids out to the fields with a basket, get out of my hair, come back with food, and which is how it all always happened, that we all learned the same way. Mm. You know, probably quite a few of our listeners over here will uh, relate to walking with your uncles and aunties or our grandparents and they point the finger on the floor and go oh this is that that's that or don't touch that one might you know so this learning while presence in present in person is extremely important because then you see the plant in flesh you see them plant in context you see what we're talking about compared to the other blade of grass and whatever. What does it mean? Because otherwise you see from a book, you see the plant in isolation, but you cannot see the plants in relationship to the rest of the ecologies. Mm. How do you recognize it? They're all green. Mm. Yeah. You know, so, and, uh, and this lived experience is extremely important. This is how it happened all over the world since forever. Mm. We walked with our uncle and aunties, learn how to recognize, engage with our surroundings, learn the do and don'ts, the, um, the privilege and obligations of engaging with our ecologies. And, and we carry on with that. Mm. We start walk with our feet, learn one, you learn two, you learn five, you have 20. By the time you're ready to learn to teach to someone else, you'll have 50, 100 plants mm. that you know intimately mm. and you start to teach one two five twenty to someone else mm. it's a process of passing on knowledge and passing on respect yes and after that initial show or that initial experience of someone taking you into the field it, it just grows from there and you may need other people to because then you're seeing all the different seasons you're seeing the different cycles seeing the different when it goes to flower when it goes to seed you're like, oh, hold on, what is that? It's, it's, I don't recognize it. Oh, no, it's just in seed. That's what it is. So Yeah, that's right. And that's where the books and the YouTube yes, and exactly. the database and the Facebook post helps out mm. because then you expand yeah. and you and knowledge is everywhere. You know, so you do not need to, you know, walk on top of the mountain. Knowledge and food is everywhere. You do not it need is. to talk, to walk on top of the mountain to find food and medicine. It's outside your door. You only need the eyes exactly. so you can see it. It's literally everywhere. Like, literally. It's just, it is. It, there's, a, there's a saying in Ayurveda called Sarvam Dravam Paunchautikam, which means everything in the universe or, and, and on earth has the five elements which makes it useful. Everything. There's Absolutely. not one plant that's not. And even you find the toxic plants that are supposedly toxic, which are toxic and poisonous, Absolutely. if they're processed and purified in the right way, they can be used. So everything has a use. And it's just to the extent that you know. And everything is connected. Yes. Yeah. Even if it doesn't have a use, there is a not a direct use for you. There is mm. reason for that yes. to be. And it's connected to at a wider circle mm. with everything else. Yeah. Yeah. There is not good or bad. It's just everything. Yeah, exactly. A whole unity. Everything is in symbiosis. Just this fact of being intimately connected with a plant, as in like it's your good friend, like it's very clear. So you just released a book 
called Eight Weeds, which is awesome. Thank um, you. How many is there in there? Uh, in Eight how Weeds. How many plants do you talk yeah, about? We talk about 33 plants, 33. six mushrooms, four seaweeds. Great. Okay. So 33 plus the six mushrooms plus the four seaweeds. Four seaweeds. Yeah. Great. So you've got um, 30, sorry, 43 species. And it's very clear from me reading your book and also knowing you and being on your workshops that you've chosen 43, which you are so intimately connected with. Yeah. It's like if I had to do something like that, like, you know, I wouldn't have nearly as many, but I've got, you know, a handful of plants that I'm so intimate with and that everywhere I go, I drive, I'm looking at the sidewalk, I'm walking, like, it's like, hey, mate. Yeah, You're a good friend Instant. of mine. Instant. Instant. With the side, uh, with, the, with the side, you know, you yeah. walk, you drive through, you see wild fennel on the highway. The, yeah. You know, and with a split of second, that's wild fennel. How do you know? Yeah, yeah. It's, I know. <laughs> it's my good friend. Like, it's my it's, good friend. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's such a beautiful thing. And it, it's just, it makes the, <laughs> back to the sensory experience of life. It's Indeed. just richer. It's like, all inclusivity of all the beings that are around me in my day-to-day experience of walking or driving or whatever. And it's really, I mean, I've just, particularly being with COVID, actually, it's probably since, since the pandemic where I haven't left the country, I've really um, expanded on, on that. And as we said, like foraging and getting to know plants is an absolute lifelong and it takes multiple lifetimes. But yeah, it's... Um, yeah, it's a great, what, I, what just to share, what I've been recently feeling is just the locality of things and yeah. not need, wanting to go to India necessarily or to go to the Himalayas to see the herbs growing there, not even to go interstate. You can just go to the local bush, which is yeah. just close next to my city and there's lifetimes of things I need to learn because I need to watch every season and every cycle and I need to look at the animal poos that are there and see what that is telling and... Absolutely. Yeah. There's so much. There's such a, a wealth all around us, mm. and uh, uh, which does not get acknowledged because we don't see. Mm. Yeah. And, and the reason why we don't see it, because we do not know it. We don't know it. We don't see it. Yeah. So yeah. I want to emphasize you know, as, as a start to really just start with one plant or, and then two yes. and then three and then really get to know it and be comfortable, be confident with it. Yeah. Maybe we should talk a bit more about we can run over it briefly about safety, sustainability, respect. Right. Yeah. So there is, I usually offer, in terms of uh, safety and legality uh, and ethics of foraging, I tend to offer tools for people because at the end of the day is you need to take your own responsibility because it's a, it's a self-feeding loop. If you are not respectful and treat the colonists with, with the respect they need to be given, the colonists die off. Mm. So you, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you are not harvesting within the boundaries or the possibility of your colonists, the colonists collapse mm. and you will have nothing to harvest. So, uh, of course, we do not want people to go there and getting colony collapsing all over the place. It's happening far too much already. And so we want to teach people how to learn the skills so that this does not happen any longer. Yeah. So good tools to interact with your resources respectfully. Tool number one, 
start where you are. The best place to forage is your own garden, your own pot, your own intimate environment. Front yard, if you're your keeping front an eye yard, on, yeah. your backyard, you know, mm. the park where you walk every mm. day. Why is that? Because that is the place you walk every day. You see exactly what's happening. So, look, common question about safety and <clears throat> of foraging is oh, we live in cities and people spray herbicides everywhere, you know, so how do I know it's not being sprayed? The short answer to that is if you don't know, it's not your backyard. You forage where you know. You start by learning a few plants and spend. There is a great website from UK that, that gives the, you know, the rules of foraging or, you know, the how-to foraging. Mm. One of the great suggestions is if you want to forage in a particular environment, first walk that particular mm. environment for a full calendar year before you touch anything. Mm. Why is that? Because by the end of the full calendar year, you will discover how many plants there are, and if those 10 dandelions you see on your walk are indeed the only 10 dandelions of the whole walk. So you will know that. You will treat them with different eyes. So you get to know, you will know if anyone sprayed those pathways, because through a calendar here, if someone does something, you will know it. Okay? So you will discover where they engage and where they don't. So forage where you know, forage where you are confident of the management and how it's happening. Just to add to that before you move on, to also if you're having like n still some uncertainty, call the council. Yes. And like what I do is whenever I see the um not the rain the council workers, the the people who are doing the the work, I ask them. Yeah. You spray there because I've got my spots all around my local beach, so I'm like, fantastic. How's that there and and then I see one guy and I see him doing something not good, a contractor, a bush regenerator. Yeah. I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, it's, it's, um, it's not glyphosate. It's uh, what's the other one? Yeah, they use different things, more yeah. uh, environmentally friendly, like mm -hmm. um, herbicide. Just because they're spraying herbicide, it's not necessarily a, uh, uh, you know, it would be toxic to some degree, but why not be necessarily the toxicity that you can be afraid of? So... To see, uh, you know, uh, herbicides in the environment is a common concern. You know, I can expand on that further, but, you know, let's just yeah, keep it simple. And so forage where you know. Another important thing to start up in um, uh, safety and clean and ethics of foraging, it helps if you, as we said before, if you start your journey with a mentor. Go out with someone, even just for one or two walks, just to start off. Learn how this person interacts with the environment. Learn why this person choose that tree and not that one. Ask questions. And because there's a lot of sophisticated knowledge that uh, accumulates in the foragers uh, through experience. And, and it will accumulate in you too by doing it yeah so go out with a mentor there's plenty of people running workshops there's uh, your old neighbor your old greek neighbor will tell you plenty 
about edible weeds. Your mm-hmm. old Polish neighbor will tell you plenty about edible mushrooms. You know, mm-hmm. so find out this knowledge. There's plenty of knowledge everywhere. And listen and apply. So once you have the knowledge, try it yourself. Go out and do it because then your personal experience is quite important. Come back to that. So find a mentor. You will also discuss a whole bunch of issues in terms of legalities and ethics. Legalities is a is is a gray zone. <laughs> is a colander of gray zones. Can you forage? Yeah, it depends. You know, it depends what it is, where it is, and who is asking the question. You know, and more important, what you tell them. You know, <laughs> like because great example. Uh, we were harvesting weeds today in the lawn, and uh, if I I was a chef and get up in the morning, 5 a.m., just before service, go out and harvest the dandelions from the lawn, some rangers might come along and say, hey, what are you doing over there? You know, and might just get upset. If I were going to do that with a bush regeneration crew at 10 a.m., with plenty of sleeping, with a coffee and a biscuit in the hand, with public liability and full authority to pull out as many dandelions as I can harvest, I can harvest dandelions. Mm. It's not that the, the plant is different or the intent is different. It's just how it's presented and in what context is being played out. Yeah, so uh, a great way to start up for foragers. Join your bush regenerator group, mm. land care, uh, bush groups, it's whatever. Like, There's everywhere. Google it. It's really you know. reusing and recycling because mm. that bush gen group would probably be chucking that out. Chucking away bags yeah. and bags of edible weeds yeah. every Saturday. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you go over there. There's people who knows about plants. The people who knows mm. about who spray what because they're doing it. And they have controlled, you know, they have full authority and you tell them, I like dandelions. And they take you by the hands, they give you a bag, come with me, we're going to fill up the bag. Mm. So, you know, engage with the community. Knowledge is not far. It's not a single man journey towards survival. It's a way to connect with nature and start off these processes of civic engagement with public resources. Edible seeds. Mm, beautiful. How are you... Okay, so that, those are the things I want to actually just mention because I really like what we talked about. So I haven't heard, considered that before, but people were asking in the group about heavy metal leaching from old cars or... Yep. Because the lead and what, what are some other heavy... So many ways heavy metals are in there. But you brought up a really interesting fact. Of, well, first of all, I want to hear about the research you're doing on this topic. Yep. But also about that some plants actually, which is uh, metabolize toxins like heavy metals yep. and some accumulate them more. Yeah. So, so heavy metal in our uh, ground, in our surrounding is um, it's, it's a legitimate, legitimate concern because, you know, obviously you do not want to ingest arsenic, lead into your system. Um, Unless it's purified. In Ayurveda, we purify metals and use them. <laughs> yeah, purify metals, yeah. But, you know, I, would, no, I doubt general. you would heat lead or arsenic. 
for that matter. Not unless it's purified. <laughs> oh, really? Wow, 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 wow. Interesting. We're going to that because we have to really explain the whole thing about that. But yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The but, you know, you would do it knowingly. Yeah, you wouldn't accumulate because this is accumulates. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's not elements that go away. You Absolutely. need to understand perfectly the amounts you're ingesting. Yeah. So. That's it. So you do not want to engage willy-nilly with the pollutants of our environments. And rightfully so. You know, we want to be aware of that. And uh, cities are renowned to be accumulators of pollutants because we live a polluted life. So in that respect, I have a few things to say. First of all is that you wouldn't harvest in a place known for pollution okay so once you start your journey of foraging you will identify areas safe to forage in areas that better not like along the highway you don't need to it's intuitive also intuitive yeah. that's right you don't go and harvest oh look at that all of this petrol station is overgrown with fruit yeah maybe oh. not there and there's so much blackberries next to this construction site which is Constantly. Yeah, yeah, constantly with all of the acidity of the cement and the concrete, you know, just being leaching out. Yeah. So, um, uh, you know, one, the first things to think about is common sense. Hello? Think about it. Would you harvest there? You don't need to. Yeah. Find the, there is plenty of good spot of forgotten places, of undermanaged places where you can go and harvest. That's the first. The second is a realization that. Even if there is uh, some trace element in the ground, because it's bound to be, not necessarily the plants will get out of their way to go and feed on them, because plants, like us humans, choose what to eat. Okay? So if I'm a plant, I don't need to go and eat arsenic by the bucket load. Why would I do that? You know, I'm going to get the nice, juicy, organic matter just put out by a worm. Thank you very much. <laughs> That's what I eat. And they're saying I live it for someone else. Okay? So, and there is that also that to, to realize that even if the soil might or might not be polluted, not necessarily plants uptake those pollution. Okay? So there's that. And as a matter of fact, we know as a fact that the plants that do actively uptake those heavy metals, they renowned for bioremediations, plants that used to clean up polluted areas, are very few. And they're not that good. It's not that they accumulate by the buckets. You know, you really need to just grow seasons of it and then process that. Okay. I believe you mentioned one of them was um, Solanum nigrum, blackberry nightshade. Yeah, Solanum say? nigrum is famous for uh, accumulated uh, typha. Uh, that is bulrushes, kambanji, is famous for accumulating, cleaning waters, accumulating. So mm -hmm. there is several plants who are renowned bioremediators. Mm -hmm. Once you know those ones, I mean, when you know these plants, you also know the bioremediation. You, you never harvest bulrushes unless you know the quality of the water. Okay, that's part of the knowing the plant. Mm. Okay, and you will not harvest uh, blackberry nightshades from a big pile of crushed down uh, um, building debris. Which yeah, debris and debris. In, you know, yeah. it's big, it's is juicy, but yeah, would yeah. you harvest that one? Maybe not mm. that one. Yeah, yeah. That said, um, so one is 
common sense harvest from a place that it's obvious or that it's not polluted. Two, plants not necessarily accumulate that much. Very few plants are actually bioaccumulators. Third, I'm just uh, being uh, in the process of pulling together the data of a pilot program to do actually quantify the level of pollutants in urban plants in Sydney. With the Macquarie University, famous for their program Veggie Saves, which they tested the soil all over Sydney and elsewhere, finding out the heavy metals in our soils in Sydney and elsewhere. And we did that. We collected soil from various locations in Sydney and collected plants and compared the pollutants in the soils and the pollutants in the plants to just actually quantify how much these plants will uptake the pollutants. And the preliminary research shows that not that much. And this is kind of match the research also done overseas, which find out that even if the plants grow in the middle of urban environments, potentially is just as clean as the one you buy at the supermarket, if not cleaner. Mm. Because plants not necessarily get out of their way to eat poison. Why yeah. would you? Yeah. And plants in the supermarket, even organic, like they have they are sprayed. They have I been mean, sprayed. Especially non-organic. Yeah, full it, of glyphosate. Absolutely. Full of uh, herbicide. They grew up on a diet of herbicide, fungicide, chemical fertilizer, uh, preservatives, you know, and name it, you know. So yeah. there's so much chemical interaction with the growing process in these plants that you can be confident they have chemical in their nutritional yeah. compounds. Yeah. I want to also mention, we were talking earlier about another potential uh, aspect of people are scared about, well, but what if dogs wee here? Okay. Because <laughs> uh, Oliver brought up a great thing of like, well, it's, dog urine is sterile and just wash the, wash the vegetable that you yeah. harvest. And also you were talking about what people are putting in their fertilizers. Absolutely. So, I mean, I understand, I understand people being concerned because, you know, dogging about dog leftovers is what we engage daily in terms of animals and things like that. And uh, other, things, other things that people say, what about if birds poo on it? Mm. Okay, you think the birds don't poo on agricultural fields? <laughs> 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 but uh, that said, um, so it's, it's a common concern. Obviously, if you collect plants in a place that is an obvious pet toilet, you know, you, this yeah. is, you, know you, you wouldn't want to go you there. But, but even then, further, you know, just uh, this is part of organic processes, okay? So things get washed up, things get rained on and washed up. And regardless, when you get a vegetables, you would do when you forage some greens, you would do what you would do with any other vegetables you buy at the supermarket or the greens grocer. You go home, you wash it. And if you're very concerned, you give it a vinegar wash, as in half a cup of vinegar in a bowl of water. Mm. Acidify the water, lower the pH, it cleans the plant, and it's as good as ever. Rinse it with water if you don't like the vinegar. As good as in, new. In India, they do it with tamarind water to get tamarind the water because it's uh, yeah. it's very sour, yeah, and therefore it kind of changed the yeah, acidity of the water. Component. Yeah, yeah, 
And it's the same concept, you know, just clean up the dust, clean up the oil, clean up mm. whatever, and then it's as good as any. It's mm. a plant, it's flesh. Yeah. And in the fertilizers, there's plenty of dog poo and dog wee and other animals and dead bodies of animals in all the fertilizers which you're buying from the Absolutely. supermarket. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. When, when people go at the supermarket and buy dynamic lifter, you do not want to know what's in that dynamic lifter. And that's lifter. not your beautifully loved domestic dog walking down the suburb. No. That's animals in factory farm. Factory farm being scraped stressed. in with still the feathers and the bones in the scraping. And, and that's growing on your kale, which you're buying from the supermarket. Absolutely. <laughs> and you won't, yeah. But of course you can navigate and not get, get those things. Yeah. I mean, you know, stay, steer away from the heavily, as you said, animal yeah. toilets. I mean, uh, without dissing our system, people are afraid of forged mm. ingredients because they do not have the tick that you would get from a supermarket shelves. But the reality is they're comparable. Yeah. They're comparable and the wild counterparts actually have a much higher level of nutrients on average than the supermarket species. In quite often, the supermarket species are the same species, like wild carrots, docus carota, is the same species of the carrots in the supermarket, okay? It just does not have a fat root, you know? So, you know, it's exactly the same species, but if you harvest it wild, it would have a different compounds yeah. to a hopper. And potentially, I would, I would say, in most cases, less toxins. So I would assume a general statement. But we're putting data to that yeah, right that's now. That's great. And let's talk about this fear because I just a quick story. I was, I don't know, making dinner the other day for, well, not the other day. This is a few months ago for some friends and family. And one in the, and I used seaweed, a, a golden kelp, which I dried and powdered and, you know, kept keeping the jar. It's lasted me, I think, two to three years off one yep. seaweed harvest. I've just, I just went and I took a whole day to cut them all and dry, but that's lasted me two, three years. I've had jars of golden kelp powder. Anyway, I, I use it and the person's like, what is, you mean you, you got the seaweed? Is it safe? I go, what, what do you think seaweed comes from? Like, yeah. it doesn't come from like a supermarket. It doesn't grow in a supermarket. Like, it comes yeah. from the wild. So, but the, you, about this notion of people fearing and, and maybe have been made to fear wild foods from... Yes authorities from councils yeah. from governments yeah. it's we, really important uh, which is um, which is legitimate this fear of you know you want yes. to know you want to know yeah. because we do live in, in a polluted environment you know undeniably you know this yeah. is everywhere and and poisonous uh, can potentials toxic that's things, right yeah. that's right that's real threat and real concerns in terms of wild food though is misplaced because the reality is, you know, wild food, you know, particularly seaweeds, you know, seaweeds are incredible because they are the interface between wilderness, you know, the ocean in front of us, the interface between wilderness and our urban society, you know, our culture, you know, so they bring in all of the, the, the nutrients and the minerals of the vastness of the sea into a, a consumable form, seaweed. So, you know, like, and, and that is great, you know, bring into this to your diet, you know, mm. bring this 
flavors into your reality because this is the flavors that made you this is the flavors that made us all we all come from the sea we are sea creatures mm. and bring back these minerals in our you know occasional if not regular uh, intake because it, they're important they they bring back elements that you know we don't we don't recognize any longer that we need so much i think i i bring this up because i think something that you're really passionate about mm-hmm. is expanding our awareness into the potential of a and the reality of a edible city landscape yes and perhaps these fears are put on by whatever you call it authorities government maybe supermarket mass so that they can't we can't see that as a potential that actually we've got food going we don't need to rely on a supermarket Yeah, absolutely. And this is accumulated through marketing strategies through modern era. Like, for example, cottons. We all wear cottons because it was a profitable crop. Corn. We all eat corn because it's a profitable crop. You know, wheat. Why is wheat? Because it's a profitable crop. You know, there's plenty of other grains that could be our chosen grains, mm. but we solely focus on one. So... It's very interesting, this, this thing, how developed, how they came to be to these days. And, you know, like a great example, bananas. The whole mm. world of bananas, we only eat one variety, mm-hmm. the Cavendish. Mm. And all of the other are unknown. If you're lucky, if you find, if you find plantain in some funny corner or some strange ethno yeah. shop. Yeah. yeah, so it's it's quite interesting. And bananas mm. display there's hundreds of varieties. Yeah. You know, so it's interesting how we confine ourselves to a small amount of species and we made to distrust all the others. Mm. It, I'm not talking about conspiracy theories. I'm just talking about how uh, our modern agriculture uh, streamlined our possibility of nutrition and shrunk our possibility on nutrition. Like there's a, a beautiful stats from FAO, uh, Food and Agriculture Organization, UN organization. And they put together a, um, a, an overview of uh, where do we get our energy intake. And they find out that 60% of our energy intake as humans right now worldwide 60% of our intake comes from three species, mm, wheat, yeah. corn, and so. rice, and the derivative of it. Mm. Yeah, so, and 20 species makes 90% yeah. of our food, Amazing. 20, as opposed to the thousands of possible mm. edible species. Mm. There's a website from Tasmania who lists, how was it, 25,000 edible species? We have 20. Mm. Yeah, I mean, today we just probably went like 35 and your book has 30, 43 and that was just, that's just vegetables. Oh, and that's, that's just greens. Like. Yeah, yeah. It does just to make it simple, to yeah. make it available, yeah. to make it, you know, choosing yeah. plants with the widest distribution. Yeah. 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 But I, I just think it's important because like recently, the other month, we're now in winter of 2022 in Sydney, Australia. We've had floods the last few months and during the floods, the people who were farming non-organically didn't have any lettuce. However, there were farms that were doing it more sustainably and in permaculture who actually completely thrived because they they 
land were able to adapt. But lettuce was a big shortage. I, I don't I didn't know much about it, but apparently it was you know a big media thing. And today, what were they saying? Fourteen dollars for an iceberg lettuce? Yeah, or they were something? talking uh, going up to twelve dollars for $12. a head of lettuce as opposed to three. Yeah, well, you're two free. And and that the supermarket I saw photos supermarket shelves like empty of leafy greens. I'm yeah. like, man, like I can walk within literally a ten meter radius of my house. Yeah. And have your, access. Your front yard is full of food. My front yard, my backyard, yeah, across ba- the road. I didn't see the backyard yet. Yeah, <laughs> it's full. It's like full that food. front yard is. I go from probably four or five times a week. Yeah, yeah. I get my leafy greens from there, and I, yeah, I have about access to maybe, uh, from what I know, maybe fifteen lettuces slash leafy green vegetables. Yeah, and the supermarket shelf, and it's abundant, and it's you know it's it, fine. One thing is okay, whatever. Even if you have all the money in the world, like. And even if you have access because you're part of this thing where you, you do have access to those vegetables, which 99% of the population, uh, it's not arriving on their supermarket, at least you can have access to the more nutritious ones. Yeah. Like it's that, that greater nutrition. It's that coming straight from, you know, picking it 20 minutes before you cook it or even in the mm. morning on my way to the beach, I'll come back and get my vegetables for the lunch that day yeah. rather than having it's it so sit important. on a shelf for a few days, a week. Yeah. It's just... Yeah, degrades. Yeah. yeah, it's so important that uh, the shrinking the distance between mm. live plants and your stomach. Yes, uh, as plants deteriorate as soon as soon as you pick them. So the shorter is the distance, the higher level of nutrients you will engage. There is elements like vitamins that disappear by the time you get it in the supermarket shelves. So famously, there is the um, uh, vitamin C plateau that six hours later vitamin c drop mm-hmm. con- you oh. know enormously because uh because it doesn't last mm. and um you know that's why you have fresh yeah orange juice as in you squeeze yeah. you drink yeah not uh, whatever you get yeah. on the supermarket shelf mm. yeah how do you go diego and how's your journey been with with time and right. foraging because it's something which we which have explored and I have had times when I've been in a super rush, like I could just go to my fridge and pull out a broccoli. I, I, I'm not going to use the example of, I could use the example of say a bunch of kale, but yeah. I just never buy leafy greens. I just do not. I have way too many growing right. near me. I, I, me and my partner, Soleil, we also go on things of we're not buying any vegetables, we're mm-hmm. only just going grains. Anyway, but yeah, sometimes, you know, it would be easy to just go to my thing and chop up a broccoli rather than go into the garden Wash. I mean, I'm, I'm getting better with my local. I can do it quickly, but sometimes some things you forage, it's more so in the processing time, maybe the cleaning. Yeah. So, yeah, how has your journey been with so that? In terms of, it depends, you know, because different, different, plants. Uh, different plants, different products require different processes. Yeah. In terms of the day-to-day getting some leafy greens in my, in my meal, I just go straight. I, I'm lucky I have a backyard uh, where, I'm, where I'm renting at the moment. Which is full of weeds, <laughs> full of edible weeds. It happened to be. I didn't do anything, <laughs> and uh, it's just a matter of going out with colander, chop up a few leaves of dandelions, chop up a few leaves of flatweed. What do I get? Chickweed. What do I get? Rumbling dog. You know, free uh, fat hen. What else? Amaranth, mallow. Um, you know, just chop up. Depending on season, get a bit of this, get a bit of this. In a matter of ten minutes, I have enough in my colander that enough for me for my pasta sauce or my pie or whatever mm. I'm making on the moment. Mm. And so this that. There's one thing is to remember is that often enough, while the ingredients 
you do not need the amount you need the iceberg lettuce right. to make a difference. You know, while the ingredients, you have a handful, that's plenty. Yeah, so they're way more nutritious, mm -hmm. you know, often enough, things like uh, fatten, for example. You have a handful of fatten as food, it's very filling. Mm. You know, a handful of fatten with some polenta, that's how I like it, cooked mm. up with some garlic and onions and then served with polenta. Whoa, I don't need to have dinner mm -hmm. kind of thing. You know, it's just very filling as, mm. as food. So amaranth is the same. It's very yeah, filling as food. Thinking. You know, it's incredible. You know, mm. a handful of that, whoa, that's mm. plenty. That's huge in iron. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, th there's that part. So you do not need as much. And because they grow regardless, you know, you just go over there and you control your weeds by exactly. eating them up. Right. You know, like, you know, it's just you, you, you mold your lawn through your dinners. Mm, exactly. <laughs> and, yeah. um, and every now and then you might need to just clean up and, you know, mm. just make it a bit more tidy. But don't worry, these are weeds are coming back. Mm. So there's that. Other ingredients are a bit more laborious, like, for example, seaweed. Seaweed, mm. I would go out, collect like you do, golden kelp. And what I do with golden kelp, because raw is not great, you need to cook at least to process. And uh, what, how I love it, then you find your recipe. Mm. Now you, you find what works for your own system. What I do with golden kelp, I go whenever it is the need that we are running out in the pantry, go out, collect you know, half a bucket is plenty, um, process it, pickle it, put it away. Once in pickled it, I use kelp mostly as a platter, as an antipasto mm. with the cheese, with the olives and some mm. kelp. And I like it as such. Uh, once it's pickled, you can also add it to soup and you can mm. add it to things, but you know, usually I use it, that's how I like it, you know, as a platter. And other things like mushrooms. Mushrooms, mm. for example, also need processing. I go in the forest, collect a box of mushrooms, come home, clean them up. Mushrooms have quite That's a lot of process to quite a clean. Bit to clean yeah. yeah, yeah, cleaning and getting them ready. Clean them up, make myself the mushroom pasta on that night. Mm. Um, maybe I'm going to have mushroom breakfast the morning after. <laughs> That's enough for mushrooms for a couple of days because mm. it's. Uh, they're beautiful, but you do not want to overdo because they're hard. They heavy to digest. Mm. They're good, but heavy. Mm. And this, you know, this. That's the season. That, that's what well. it is. Yeah. That's what it is. So two days yeah. of mushrooms, you know, <laughs> yeah. leaves and up, and the rest they pickle. The rest I preserve. Mm. Yeah. Beautiful. So once it's preserved, it's in my jar. It lasts for years. And whenever I need out of season to make a risotto, I reach for the jar ready for the risotto. You know, say so there is, and the processing of food is is part of the celebration mm. cycle of the of the ceremony that is nice to acknowledge and fulfill and action around the food, because once you spend so much time in, for example, a classic passata such a ceremony time for lots of Italian families. They go out, they get crates of tomatoes, mm -hmm. they all get together, all peeling tomatoes, mm -hmm. all squashing tomatoes, all cooking tomatoes, and you get passata for the rest of uh -huh. the year. And yeah, that yeah. process, the family process, 
enhance and elevate the Jaro Passata mm-hmm. to a level that is uncomparable to anything you will never buy at a supermarket. Yes. Yeah. yeah, it's filled with energy and belonging and stories mm-hmm. and experience that that mm-hmm. Passata, when you have the pasta, tastes different. Yeah. It tastes different for a whole bunch of reasons. Mm-hmm. At the very least, because you laugh so much with your grandmother while doing it. Mm. That family and friends component the is really and helpful. Celebrating and, yeah. and, and it feeds you, keeps feeding work, you. It's like, yeah. It keeps feeding you when you open up that jar. Mm. Yeah? Celebration around food is so important. And I, be, I believe Ayurveda is quite big on it. You, yeah, know, yeah. you need to respect Absolutely. every single element. For what it is, yeah, and through that respecting hands, it, it kind of mm. elevates itself. Mm. Yes, it's so good. It's, and when you have that abundance, you know, we did it um, last year with the banya nuts. Like, oh, the banya nuts. They, they come every this year. Three this years. year was massive banya nuts. Was it this year? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we get it every. For those who don't know, it's this type of pine tree that's native to Australia, and every three years it has a massive. And it just drops these massive dinosaur food. They, they were dinosaur foods. And, you know, it's just absolutely abundant. And, you know, we go, this is, when we see them, they're about to rot. So we take them so that they don't rot. And we don't take them all because there's other people who enjoy the bunya nut season. Animals as well. Animals and, yeah, other species, absolutely. And we sit, we, it took us the whole, basically the whole day. We did, it was, I think it was five of us. Wow. One of us taking it out, one of us cutting it one of us taking the sprout out and then we dehydrate make it into flour or oh, make it into this there's so many we, we used quite a few different things yeah but yeah it's 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 that whole experience of collectively working yeah. you know doing a lot of time on it enjoyingly and but that's that then we've got that for a long time and, that for a long yeah. time and the experience of taking through the pro- celebrating the produce yeah. through ceremony mm. yeah. i mean ceremony is is the wrong because it's so loaded. Let's say it's like ritual. Uh, uh, ritual. Let's yeah. say ritual. Mm. Uh, you know, so the ritual of the processing of food, and it's so important. Absolutely. So uh, stories are made with it. Songs mm. are made with it. You mm. know, connections are forged with it, and the food tastes different. It's love and come back on the other side, still feeding you of so much more levels mm. than you wouldn't even think of. And this is without even touching what banya nuts are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah so th- that's, that's m- way more levels to discover just oh, in yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so before we wrap up, I got a la- kind of a last question before we give people more resources on how they can start or, or enhance their foraging journey. It's, it's going to be a very hard question. What are, I kind of want to ask, like, what's your favorite weed? But I don't want to say, like, one favorite. I don't know what comes to mind, what's something... Or you can name a few. A few plants that I love. That, that you yeah, love. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, all right. So, let's start with respect. Um, dandelion. I come from dandelion country. It's the plants I learned as a kid. It's the plant we celebrated as a kid. It's the kind of catalyst of me understanding. Mm. Oh, wow, there's food in the fields. I just need to go and get it. You know, it's my entry point. Is the, what you say, is the getaway plant. That my getaway mm. plant was dandelion. Uh, Before you move on, I just want to add, it's 
one of them probably when people learn foraging or if they were going on a workshop with you or if they were to look at your book that's probably the number one thing that they would recognize yeah and it's a great it's don't if i if someone asked me that that would probably be the first thing that comes to my mind for me it's the reasons of i just love bitter vegetables and you have that you can eat the whole plant and the root is like a nice carbohydrate kind of bitter potato tasting and and i just i love bitter good for my me i'm very hot blooded so the mid is good to cleanse my my information and yeah but yeah beautiful yeah dandelions and then you know depending on season i'm very much attached personally to artemisia mugwort you know i need to explain that one and i'm not going to you know that's oh. a different uh, thing but you know very much attached to mugwort and then different seasons bring different things mm. right now chickweed Mm. so much mm. everywhere you know people saying i don't have no lattice you got chickweed coming out of your ears mm. just go out harvest you get the young and, ones um, right yeah tasty. i love chickweed i love amaranth i love mm. purslane i love oh, mallow purslane. you know carry on on and yeah, on yeah, and on yeah, and on yeah, yeah. each season right. got something yeah yeah, sure. yeah. And what were some of the plants that you were foraging as a child in northern Italy? In child in northern Italy, uh, dandelions, wild asparagus, wild hops, new shoots. What else we were harvesting? We were harvesting lubertine, lubertine wild hops, uh, mushrooms, lots of mushroom nuts, lots of nuts. Mm. Uh, so hazelnuts, chestnuts, mm. the wild, well, growing wild beautiful. everywhere mountains of chestnuts so mm. you go over there collect chestnuts collect ah. hazelnuts and while you're mm. there check for mushrooms mm. um and uh, yeah so right. it, it depends you know and other mushrooms that were in, in other areas dock we ate lots of dock mm. rumex species yeah rumex species mm. yeah yeah and um uh, yeah great so for people who want to mulberries Oh, Mulberries, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I loved, I loved today. You talked about having like making your own map internally. I mean, you yeah, do it on piece of paper as well. But you know, you've got your mulberry trees. I've got my mulberry trees. I've got my curry leaf trees. Yeah, that I've been going to for years. That's and right. every season, I go the same mulberry. You know, yeah. oh, this wasn't fruiting. The one around the corner was better. It's, yeah, it's so good just like visiting, and it's like a very unconditional. <laughs> loving relationship absolutely particularly from the from the plant <laughs> yeah yeah and, and and point of reference because once you start to acknowledge and mm. uh, pay attention to plants you learn a whole bunch of things that you would not know mm. like environmental conditioning like that carry trees in the middle of the drought was very unhappy and mm. then it came the rain yeah, well. exploded and this year the fruits were that big mm. and so juicy yeah mm. do you like the curry trees fruit yeah yeah a little bit a little bit they can be <laughs> yeah, quite flavored they can yeah, be quite flavor, but they were super juicy yeah yeah, yeah? So, there's definitely more fruits than yeah, yeah yeah and uh, you know so you learn these things you know mm. because you have an invested interest in that plant mm. and because of that you learn what's happening in that mm. world mm. because you care for it and that enhance your ability to understand bigger yeah. things bigger things all around you mm. that might or might not affect you but eventually all of them come back because yeah. we're all in the same yeah yeah it's all the same place beautiful so for you listening yeah you i'm talking to you <laughs> you can check out I would just recommend checking out a local foraging group wherever you live in the world. Indeed. Maybe search on the internet. 
If you're in Sydney, definitely check out diegobonetto.com. He's got quite a lot of workshops, seaside workshops, mushroom in the in the pine forests, South Southern Highlands, Blue Mountains when they're in season, urban foraging, seaside foraging. Um, Jake Kassar, bushcraft.com is another one of our local friends who who does also survival. Yeah, not sure. Type in Jake Kassar, bushcraft. And then Diego's just released an amazing book, Eight Weeds. And Diego's also known as the weedy one. So he's in Little Weed and... It's such an amazing book. It's so well illustrated and the photography is beautiful and the stories associated with each plant and the acknowledgement of country, of respect, of the this it's such a it's such a wholesome book. It mm. it really has a lot. So and it's it's a great guide to to have with you when you're foraging. I mean, I know Jake speaks about always being in the bush with many books. He goes Lives off the goes on survival missions for two weeks, but he brings his books. So yeah, that'd be a good book. Yeah, anything else you would suggest for people who are okay? So um, slow down, be happy, enjoy your journey, learn a few plants, and uh, and you will find yourself with the bug. You learn two, you see them everywhere, and you start to notice what they grow with. You start to notice all of the companions and slowly but surely mm. you increase your vocabulary connect with your local people connect with the bush region people connect with your foraging community and learn by engaging with other peoples what they have to offer and pay respect there's a lot that we can do to do damage to the land where we live in and lots we can do to support and pay respect the environment we live in mm. so choose your actions yeah so foraging is not the chance as i said beginning uh, foraging is free food excellent i got your attention mm-hmm. and now that i got your attention i was kidding foraging is not free food it's a gift mm. which is further it's not that you don't pay for it it has been given to you. Mm. And once you understand that, you will walk further. Mm. You will see more. And go and connect with your indigenous community mm. as well. Mm. They have an incredible thousands of years of knowledge of how to look after the land. Start from there. Start from there and then apply that everywhere. Mm. Apply that to the ancestral or pervasive and the commonality of people from all over the world you look after land land look after you yeah yeah so i hope you're excited to go out and get and start getting to know plants bit by bit one by one developing a relationship and utilizing it damn it's so enriching so fulfilling more than just the physical nutritional digestive nourishing benefits but to interact with what you're picking and what's wild it's really the next level so let us know how you go let let us know tag vital vader and tag diego bonetto or rather the weedy one on instagram and instagram stories or however like and and show us what you're doing and if you need help with identification diego and i both have the policy of rather than dming us and sending us private messages if you know if you tag us and then we can share that with with our community and we can help more people similarly there's um the vital vader community facebook page 
Vital Veda community is where we have like-minded individuals uh, who are sharing many things, whether it's, hey guys, I found this plant, or I grow extra holy basil, do you want some? Or, hey, I need to, anyone have a recommendation for edema? (laughs) Like so many aspects of of health and consciousness and foraging food, whatever it is, check out Vital Veda community Facebook group. So if you want to win a copy of Diego's Eat Weeds book, which is so beautiful, what y'all got to do is a couple things. There's two ways you can you can enter and you'll get an entry for both. One is on Instagram. Follow Vital Veda and follow the weedy one. And on the Instagram post associated with this podcast episode, go onto the Vital Veda Instagram, you'll see a teaser. What you need to do is comment on that post one takeaway that you got from this podcast episode. All right? So you follow Vital Veda, follow Weedy One, comment on the post associated and one takeaway you got. All right? Then you're going to go to, if you want to enter a second time, you can leave a review on iTunes on the Vital Veda podcast. Tell us again what one takeaway you got from this episode. So there you go. And I'll give you a tip. Your chances of winning this competition are pretty they're good you know then it's not highly unlikely because to be honest with the recent competitions we occasionally do with our guests who generally donate some gift or chances are reasonable i'll tell you that i'll just tell you that it's not that hard at all so good luck and until next time much love (laughs) 